On this episode of Year One, we speak to Treyon Muller, CEO and founder of the Modern Learning Architect, a consultancy that helps L&D companies architect learning experiences that work to change behavior, reduce training costs, and deliver a measurable ROI. On this episode, we speak about the importance of asking why, early strategy planning, providing value, the founder rules, 15 by 5 rule. Treyon is witty, funny, and a great listen. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Brian, welcome to Year One. I'd like to start off by thanking you for giving us some of your time. Satish and I are really pumped to talk to you today. And I'm going to dive in at the very first question, and that is, what has happened in your life, be it in your childhood, past experiences or circumstances that has made, it who you, made you who you are today and given you the courage and the drive to start your own business? Well, that's a loaded question. All of us are made, you know, influenced by our past and our environments and what we've experienced to be who we are today, but specifically what has influenced me to want to be a business owner and an entrepreneur. Well, there's a few things. I have a great love for education. I have a great love for personal growth and development. And I've been in this space for 20 years, working with some of the largest organizations in the space, the training and development companies, global ones. I've had great positions in those roles. I, I failed a lot. I've succeeded some. And I've learned from both of those. And coming out of it, I've realized when you are stuck, and sometimes people don't call it that, but when you are in an organization where you are limited to or directed by stakeholders or even C-suite leaders to do things a certain way, even if it's not the right way, but it's, you, want to, you have to do it a certain way so you can hit numbers for a quarter, I, I would get frustrated with that because there, there's more than one right way to do something. Sometimes you do the right thing for the quarter and not for the organization or the target learners involved. So what gave me the courage was I have quite a bit of experience in the space. I've been pushing innovation and questioning status quo for a long time. And I thought, you know what, let me, let me offer what I have to the world and, and see who wants it. That's where I'm at. How much of... What you just said, because I love the ending, which is pushing innovation and pushing status quo. It is, is that you always take us back to the younger version? Is this, is this another sort of delivery of that same mindset and thought pattern? Oh, yes, absolutely. So people that know me, this is who I am. I'm an open book. I'm, I'm Mr. Transparency. But I tell people I was raised white in apartheid, apartheid South Africa. But then I add, I was lucky and blessed to be raised poor and white in black South Africa because um, what that allowed me to be was grow up with my brothers and sisters of different color. And I, I didn't take the crap that I was hearing from my white friends about the, the racist comments, the, the stupidity. So even then I was like, no, I was questioning. Why, why would you say things like that? This, is, this person is just like me. So I started young. Luckily, right, with, with that, 
And I've always been the one to question why. You know, I'm not quoting Simon Sinek here necessarily, but those princip- the principle of why is very important. Just because you've always done it a certain way doesn't mean you always have to do it. And one of the barriers that I talk about that we have in this education system that we have or learning and development space, I, I've identified 10 main barriers to effective learning experiences. And the first one I mentioned is called the default setting. This is always something that we do quite frequently as companies, organizations. We will tend to default to what we've always done without taking a moment to actually look at our learners and see what it is we can do better and differently. You know, the, the, sorry, Dion, I'm jumping in only because I know you have another question, but I'm fascinated because the origins in, in South Africa and the exposure to, like you said, you know, the, the poor version and the white version and this now into an entrepreneurship. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the same way where, you know, born in India, growing up in Singapore, being a South Asian, but not academically gifted. And then, and then all that led to entrepreneurship. There was no other way. I'm not going to be judged by somebody's nine to five description of my value because of why I grew up. And, and the idea of that starting point influencing a decision to be entrepreneurship, I think this is the first time we've heard it on a podcast. Most of it is like, I didn't like my boss and I wanted to try something different. So I'm going to start my own thing. So I appreciate you sharing that context. You're welcome. I mean, there's something beautiful about humanity that we overlook when we put blinders on. And I'm loving that we're getting away from that. There's so much more focus on equality, diversity, and inclusion. Not only because of the terms that seem very rigid, but I want you to think about the people behind the terms. And and when you start questioning, why do I have to disagree with this person just because they're a different color or different religion or different language? Why not just find out who they are? And guess what? We'll find out there's so much in common. So I'm a huge believer in just not settling for the default set to always question not that I'm a contrarian, like I, I am not a contentious contrarian, but it's good to ask those questions. And I think that's a good segue to my next question, actually, Trion. And that is, tell us a little bit about your business, but what you do, but not only what you do, why you do it. Thanks, Dion. I, I mean, Satish, we were just going on some passionate stuff and then Dion brings us back to the real world. Okay, so let me go there. So I own a business called The Modern Learning Architect. Now, back in, I think, 2014, Josh Burson, who's a leader and a thinker in this space, I really admire and respect him. He came out with, a, and by the way, what, he helped sponsor this. It was someone else who brought it to life and did the research on it. And I forget her name, and I shouldn't do that because it's a her and she's very important. But she, uh, they came out with this infographic called um, oh, something about the modern learner. They introduced us to this modern learner concept and how our tension spans are shorter and, and several different aspects on this infographic. Um, but at the time, I was in the space already and I was seeing that and I related to that. And I started saying, well, here's some things that I'm seeing that we could do differently with these people in mind. So that's why the name, the modern learning architect, what I do is I work with organizations, departments that want to, that, that worked on developing their people and their employees. 
and I help them to identify where they are now, where they need to be, and then find the right bridge in between. I call that the space between. What you do in the space between where you are now and where you need to be is the key to success, especially with developing employees, starting with onboarding, ongoing career development and training. You know, it's important what you do there is not the default, like I said, but there's very there's a lot of options and it all depends on who your learners are, what they are trying what you're trying to get them to be able to do. So I work with organizations with everything from A to B and everything in between. And and why? Why is that important to you? What what is the what is the joy and excitement that you get out of doing what you're doing? It it's all faith on bringing the L&D folks, the people that have been marginalized. I'm talking about the training departments, the learning folks that have been pushed aside as, oh yeah, we need to check a box. We have to do compliance training or we need sales training. Go buy some and we'll, we'll say we did. It, it's to make them rock stars in their own right. And the way I do that is I connect everything we create in the space between to real business results real metrics, things that make them look really good to the C-suite who cares about numbers and cares about ROI, return on investment. So I get jazzed about is there are, there's some really bad ways that we can create learning experiences. And I would, I'm going to throw out a statistic, but it's not here. It's not scientific. The majority, I would say 75, 80% of the stuff out there, the training and learning out there is subpar or even worse, just bad. And that's because people are lazy, not generally, but when it comes to learning and development, because they buy something off the shelf and they just expect it to work great and change behavior. But that's not how it works. So especially with this new mutant learner, and that's my book is called The Rise of the Mutant Learner, How to Learn and Lead Effectively in the Digital Age. And I, I talk about being a mutant learner is a good, because synonyms for mutant are things like innovation, metamorphosis, transformation, creation, um, change, things that we all want to have as part of our character. So I get excited when I'm able to lift these people up and make them superstars, but, but I do it because I like to show that when L&D, learning and development is done right, it actually can have an impact on business. Not actually, it does have an impact. On, on business. So as you're talking, I'm, I'm putting on my CEO hat from past businesses, right? And I've always struggled with this because am I measuring the investment per employee? Am I measuring the return on investment of a culture that I've built? Or is it both? Because especially in today's world, and I, you know, we have a tech startup and tech folks are the hardest to retain they they are 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 transient and and digital nomads by design now. And so when you think about employee training and and and, and sort of investment, are you focused on a measurable individual transformation or a cultural level, or is it all compound? Walk me through. And I'm a visual thinker, so if there's an example you can reference to, I would yeah. love to see how it all comes together. So the answer is yes. It- because Check. The, the more, the more we can connect, and I'm talking about solid connection, not just subjective. I mean, objective numbers. I'm talking about 
we started this training with this group of banking tellers. And we said, before our training, the, the retention percentage or the to turnover rate was this. Okay. We're going to conduct this training. And by the way, I don't believe in one and done fire hose events. Um, I don't know how we have got this into our heads as an industry that people can become a great salesperson, a great leader, a great, be more productive, you name it, whatever the goal is for the training, how we can become that in one, two, three days. I mean, you don't learn to play the guitar or the piano. You don't become a concert pianist after three days of fire hosing someone with the, the notes and, and, and a piano. And now all of a sudden they can go and you know be a yeah. concert pianist. But we think for some reason, and I don't know why there's this disconnect, because we create these three-day programs for our leaders. Hey, go and do this. And it's like, okay, nothing will change. And nothing does change. There's a lot of research showing that learning and development is ineffective. So one of the things that I like to do is attach it to create a space learning experience, okay, where we say, let's look at the next three to six months. That's an ideal time frame, maybe even a year, depending on what you're trying to do. If you're working with executives, for example, you know, a dozen executives for an organization, give me them, give, a, give me a year and I'll be able to. First of all, we'll, together we'll identify what those metrics are, Satish. So let's talk about retention. Let's talk, talk about engagement. You, you spoke about that, which impacts culture. Let's just talk about actual, what are they doing? What are the business um, revenue or the, the business metrics that they are over? How can we connect that to the learning experience? I don't like using the word training because it carries a lot of negative baggage. But how do you create create a learning experience, space learning experience in the seams of the day. I'm talking about, you know, we kick it off, maybe an immersive experience at first, and then we do it an hour a week where we people are, are held accountable to come back and report on the thing they learned last week. What did they do? Okay, so that to me at a high level is an effective way to measure whatever metrics, Satish, we identify up front. And we can tweak it. You have to. You have to continue tweaking that and say, you know, we set this rate that we can improve the turnover by. But we've recognized that actually this one be after a month, after three months, after six months, and then we go and we report it. So what I do is I work with organizations to say, okay, where are, what's the starting point and what are the metrics and what are we aiming for to begin with? And we'll revisit that frequently. And then that'll be a presentation that they can take to the C-suite to say, look at the mm. ROI. Look at what we did with this group. Now, I mean, it really does depend on what metrics you can plug into. So most of both the accountability side, which is which is what you're bringing to the table, right? You know, saying, "Hey, as a business, what are the metrics as you want to be accountable for?" And as a culture, where can we create that accountability? Yes. That so the follow up, the the follow up is as a as a as a obviously your current business comes out of a twenty year deep knowledge base expertise, connections. A lot of our audience is first-timers, right? Looking to figure out how to do stuff. So when you are looking at your business, how are you evaluating competitors and the space you're coming in? Even though you're qualified to talk on the subject matter, when you're building a business out of it now, how are you figuring out what your moat is? How do you separate yourself from others? And, and maybe walk us through some of the early strategy planning around your business. 
that's a great question. So one thing, being an entrepreneur means you, you wear many hats. And some of them I'm not very comfortable with. Some I'm more comfortable than others. And it's, it's a steep learning curve. So I've always, I've have, I have background in product management. I have background in a little bit of product marketing, sales, and obviously in this, this learning space and in the creation and architecting of good experiences. So you have to find where you're strong and where you're weak. Um, and it does help, by the way, to, to do a competitive analysis to see who's doing what out there and how do you compare what is your differentiators into some basic marketing principles. Luckily, I have quite a few differentiators with, with my approach to learning and development. It is definitely, um, I would say, new age. It's forward thinking. But it is based on a lot of testing and practical experience I've had over this 20 years. So unlike, I mean, I'm not, I'm in a big organization and, and I, I'm not going to go up against large L&D organizations for the kind of services I provide. I provide um, unique L&D consult, which is not something that large organizations typically get into. They might offer it somehow. I would, I would suggest getting, doing competitive analysis, understanding what your differentiators are. I've hired a, a group to help me reach out and do some A-B testing on messaging, create appointments, top of funnel stuff, get me some qualified leads, because it's not something I have time for or that I have experience doing. So I'm a, I'm a believer, by the way, in outsourcing to the expert. If someone else does it for a living, well, let them do it. And then you focus on what you good. So maybe that, does that answer your question? Fantastic. Can I have a follow-up question to that, John? So once again, I was looking at your profile. You were permanent employed for quite a long time, right? And then you did the transition from permanent employment into working for yourself. Now, once again, we probably have many founders or wannabe founders out there that's in permanent employment. They would love to do that transition. Just talk me through a little bit. So at that point where you decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. Did you give up your job and go in full-time? Did you work on a part-time basis? How did you go and approach it? How did you go and find your first client? Just, if you don't mind, just give me a little bit of insight into that. Yes. So it, it wasn't as clean as, you know, I had a job and then I was doing that on the side because there was a non-compete, so I couldn't do that. So it was actually a, quite a, a nice split. It was the beginning of COVID. I was the, the chief product um, officer at Corn Ferry, which is a large organization. But I was there as the L&D chief product officer coming over from three companies that they had purchased. And I was one of those. I was the chief product officer that was helping with all five of those companies, actually. Three of them come over to Corn Ferry. I'm helping with the transition period. There was an opportunity after six months being there with COVID to take my severance package and, and leave because they were looking for people. So they didn't, you know, looking for people to go. I said, that's fine. Let me do that. So that was kind of a, a good timing. Um, but at the, so my first client, so what I did was I reached out to people I knew. I've been in the space a long time. I'm connected. And I reached out and I, actually I'm still in that process. I, I, there's not, I, I am reaching out to folks I don't know. But I started with warm leads, right? People that know me, that know I'm good at what I do, told them what I was doing, um, started putting together packages that 
I felt would be appealing. And, and I've been tweaking those ever since. I did, you know, during that time, the last two years that I've been my own business owner, I, I did, you know, jump into some organizations like Satish, like you have startup. I, did, I went with a startup. I went with another ed tech group where it was basically me giving 100% for just one organization. For In one case, it was four months. Another was 10 months. So even though it was me with my bringing my skills and talents, it, it was still um, focused just on one client because they were paying me for the time. So you, you take it where you can get it, I guess. No, that's a good hustle, man. And in listen, sales and lead gen is is it's like you said, you you don't learn it one time and do it. You got to keep experimenting. And one of the things I liked about your site is all of the freebies that you have as a lead gen program. A lot of founders, especially in that early stage, don't think about giving first. And I'm curious the efficacy of that of that model you're using. I I'm an abundant guy. I uh, I love sharing my thinking my concepts with people. So, but, but yes, I did see value in providing value. I saw the, the importance of, let me give you, let give people some, like on that freebie page of mine, which is under modernlearningarchitect.com. I, I give away eBooks on micro learning, on consumer, how consumers actually are conditioned and how we can learn from that in the L&D space, et cetera. I talk, I have an infographic about a video. I even have a tool I'm giving away for free, which is, it's a very valuable tool on how instructional designers can create effective learning experience. So the answer is, yes, I, I see an abundance of, it's just a good thing when people go, oh, that's for free. Oh, that's nice. I give it away when I speak at conferences. I, I remind people that it's there. So yes, I, that principle, that marketing principle of provide value over and over again is a good one. I, I probably need to do a better job of getting those in front of people instead of it being just sitting on my website. And, and that's something, again, I'm not an expert at. <laughs> no, I appreciate you for sharing that. You're talking about books that you're giving away for free. We're going to digress a little bit here. So I was looking at so far, webinars, instructional learning, building up all these programs, and then parenting. <laughs> Where yeah. does that come? <laughs> so it was about, boy, 12 years ago. Um, I was approached by a publisher saying, you know, we need, an, we need some parenting books. It's, the market was in the needle. Yes. And I said, well, good news is I have five kids and I have a lot of experiences and most of them are me making bad mistakes, but I think it's funny. So I can write about that and talk about what you should do, which wasn't what I did. So I wrote three parenting books in about three, four years. You know, what I've long lessons learned, but I, the first one is called Dad Rules. Yeah. And I created 101 rules for dads on what they should do. And uh, we, we mimicked it after Food Rules, which is a best selling book, which also just had like a food rule per page. So Dad Rules has a rule per page. And I call it toilet compliant reading because you can pick it up on the toilet and read a whole rule and be satisfied. <laughs> that's um, funny so that one actually Stephen Covey Stephen R. Covey you know the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People I was blessed that he was able to give me an endorsement for that book and uh, so that was a great honor and I wrote two other books but I found out guys that parents are either too busy or 
Well, parents don't like reading parenting books. That's why I didn't start a lot. My books are actually really good. I, my third one's the best. It's called Reality Parenting as Not Seen on TV. You know yeah. that little as seen on TV little thing? Change it to as not seen on TV. I'm sure there was a trademark with that, but it, you know, <laughs> a long time ago. That's so, brilliant. So to that point, then, so dad rules. And then I think you had mom rules as well. With my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So based on your background in learning and development, based on the fact that there are many startups out there, right? What are the founder rules from your perspective, the early stage founders with regards to learning and development or creating a culture of learning? Well, that's a great question. And Satish and I are going to, we're going to write that book. So here's the first few rules. <laughs> no, boy, you put me on the spot there. There's a lot of rules. And I think it's, it's know, your, know your audience, know your target. I'm going to be mentioning some things that are fundamental marketing, fundamental sales, and fundamental product rules, I guess. They, they all apply because you have to do all of the above, right? So know, know who your target audience is. Be willing to flex and change continuously. And go down some rabbit holes that might not seem appealing at first because you never know where they're going to lead. Be patient. It doesn't happen overnight, guys. And I'm still waiting for my ship to come in and because <laughs> my boat has come in, but it's a very small paddle boat, but I'm waiting for the <laughs> ship, right? Like cruise liner. And maybe with my book, which... I, I literally, it's this, it's this week or next week that it's, it's going to be on paperback. It's in Kindle right now. But I really believe with 15 years of thinking and, and ideation and practice and frameworks, I have some really cool things. I'm thinking that's going to inspire some people. So, yeah. So there's, there's more be, rules than that. So we'll do this. this. This could be your title. So founder rules as not heard on podcasts. <laughs> no, no. As heard on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Dion's already co-authoring something. Now, oh, Drown, as you're as you're talking, you know, I, I'm very curious, man, to 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 for you to talk about you as a young man growing up in South Africa and where your life is today. How much of who you are today did you dream about back then? How much of it came true? How different are you? Wow, that's a great question. And I like it because it's where I've been spending some time. In my book, I, I give a lot of stories, go back in time. I've been an optimist my whole life. I've had to be. My dad left when I was seven. My mom, a wonderful lady, she was an alcoholic, struggled her whole life. I just remember being blessed with optimism throughout it all. I've, I've been blessed with also really, really sincerely loving people for who they are and learning from them. So I've always been very social, which which I think stays me. I think if I was more an introvert, I would have been focused on my, my psyche life, which was, it was bad. It, I tell people it wasn't nearly as bad as some of my black brothers and sisters, but it was bad. And, um, but there was a lot of good because you learn from struggle, right? You grow from struggle. So who I was, was this, I was a funky looking dude, man. I mean, I still am, but I had like this flock of seagulls, big flick of a hair, I had, I was kind of gangly looking. I wasn't quite in the right proportions. I had lots of acne. 
I had, I made friends with everyone, all the popular kids. I loved them. I liked it. I was friends with the kids that weren't popular. I was just like doing lunchtime during school. I would be going to different groups and just chatting. And I've always been like that. Always. I'm a connector. I just like people. So that my personality has, has never changed. Talk about dreaming. I've always dreamed. And my dreams have changed, right? Obviously, I had very superficial dreams when I was younger about money and affluence. Now my dream is about peace and happiness. And I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. I'm, I'm definitely not like, I'm not rich enough to retire by any stretch of the imagination. But I have a good family, a good wife. I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I don't have to do hair care because I'm bald. Life is good. <laughs> I love that answer, man. I love that answer. Oh, Dion, bring us back into, into work mode now. Well, I've got a question for you. So, you know, they say that mechanics usually drive the worst motor cars because they never ever spend time fixing their own vehicles. You are an expert in learning and development, putting programs together. What have you done for yourself since you've moved on to do your own thing? Dion, I, I'm a practicing mechanic, my brother. Excellent. Okay. So it hasn't only been since I've been on my own. I've always worked in what I call my mutant learning lab. I've created a learning lab where it's a daily routine. It's where I have information coming to me, relevant information. I'm not talking about the, the size of the Kardashians' backsides. I'm talking <laughs> about relevant information They're coming to me on a daily basis. And I... And I have that in my book. I talk about how, to, how people can create their own learning lab. Um, but also one thing I, I did was pretty, I think, brave of me. A couple of years ago, I started my PhD in learning science and educational psychology. So it, in the space that I've been in, I have a master's degree in the same thing. My book that comes that, that coming out is introducing a new learning effectiveness framework to the world called Eras. And it's what I'm going to do part of my, dissip well, my dis dissertation on. So I'm con I believe in continuously improving myself. You see the books behind me? They're not just for decoration. These are books I read. I, I, I love reading. I listen to books. So yes, I am a practicing mechanic. I love that. Thank you for not turning into a Ty Lopez moment. Look at my books. Look at my Lamborghini. Look at my books. <laughs> I, I would love to have a Lamborghini to point at. I'll tell you what, we, I help you guys, Satish, your, your, your startup, I help you be successful. We both buy a Lamborghini and we can do that episode. I yeah. love that. I love that, man. I want to I talk a little bit about zombies and mutants, Dion, if you, unless you have another question. No, no, please go ahead. Right? So, so I'm in K-8, so I'm surrounded by young people. I've got two kids, a teenager now and a, and a little boy who turned nine. And... Both of them grew up in the digital world. You know, for me, acquiring a piece of technology, I had to work to go get it. And then I knew the impact of having it. My first pager, my first flip phone, I'm dating myself, but you know what I'm saying. These kids, I feel like parents have sort of turned them into zombies a little bit by using technology as a way to distract and time out. And I'm seeing that at scale now when I go to school, yo, the kids... But technology is not going to go anywhere. Chat GPT and AI is coming into their world. Talk to me about zombies versus mutants. And, and, and are 98% of us zombies today? No. So 
I think you're hitting on a, a very hot topic. In my book, I introduced five, there's a camera, five learning types. Four of them are mutant learners, which is a good thing. And there's no one right out of those four. And I talk about, you can be, a, you could just be a basic learner, someone who just likes to, you know, if I have a question, I'm just going to ask Google. You can be an initiator, someone who's always, you know, going to groups, participating in affinity spaces and communities of practice. And someone that's inquiring and always wanting to know more, that's initiated. You could be a wanderer who's like, hey, I'm surfing up. Oh, I found something, found something that's interesting that I can learn about and I'll share it with other people. That makes you more of a wanderer. Or you can be a contributor where you can say, hey, I'm going to learn something and I want to add my spin and an opinion to it and, and share that with the world. So any of those four mutant learners are good. Now, zombie, when you talk about some of these kids in front of their screens, they're not always being a zombie. To me, a definition of a zombie is someone who is purely there for entertainment purposes. Now, that does happen a lot, okay? Um, if you're not... And there are times, by the way, that you can decide to be, I prefer being a wanderer than a zombie. Because a wanderer is saying, if I come across something, sweet, I'm going to learn it and I'm going to share it. I'm just going to click, you know, repost. Um, if you're a zombie, it's like, I'm going to put on my, my gaming headgear, my console, and I'm going to play for five, seven, eight hours and that's it. Maybe there's a time for that, but not every day, right? You don't want to become that type of a zombie. Remember, screens have, like you said, very well, a part of our life. AI is part of our life. Digital learning, digital access to information. We can get an answer to anything instantaneously. So what I've learned to do is embrace the noise, but the way you deal with it is to harness it with a mutant learning lab, which is to say, if, as long as I dedicate, and I call it the 15 by five rule, as long as I dedicate at least 15 minutes, five times a week on a topic that I'm trying to be better at, and by the way, you can learn a lot superficially in 15 minutes. Because what I, I tell people to skim first, skim the headlines, see what interests you. Then you, then you scan that a little more, de little more detail, maybe just the abstract, and then you can really dive in and study it if it's something that is applicable. But if you just commit to 15 minutes, five times a week on a specific topic you want to be better at and learn more about, then you know what? You can reward yourself with some games and then other zombie time. But yeah, mutants, you want to be a mutant learner because it means you are always changing. You're adapting. You're improving. You're growing. You're surviving. Hence mutation. There's this world we in as opposed to just being a zombie where you are like the living dead, right? You're just like going through the motions, letting the world act on you. And, and you not actually taking control of your life you are just living in other people's realities on TV or on games. It's a very slippery slope. You've got to be very careful that we don't become zombies in this space. I'm going to talk to my kids about that today. I mean, listen, I talked to Uncle Treon, and he said, okay. you're a zombie because you're playing games for five hours a day, every day, my guy. Switch go to at least TikTok. They're going to love that. You're like, yeah, I want to be a zombie. Except you're like, no, that's not a good thing, dude. <laughs> Damitrion, what is the vision for your agency or your consultancy? I just want to help organizations. I want to transform how we think as a, as a you know, corporate America. I'm, I'm not in the K through 12 or K through 8 like you, Satish, but in, in the corporate environment, I just want to change, at least influence somewhat, how people perceive their employees. 
these are not, you know, names on a list. These are individuals that are different. We all mutate differently. We learn differently. We grow differently. We are interested in different things. So look for ways. I, I want to influence how companies or organizations, how they develop their folks over time. Because I guarantee if they do a better job of that, starting with even before onboarding, but around about onboarding through the career development and career path, so that it's not so much event based. I'll go to this training. It's more like, okay, over the next six months, here are the goals this that we're going to work on together. Here's access to the kind of things that you can do to achieve that. Here are the metrics. Here's how we know you succeeded. See, we're talking about KPIs. Key performance indicators need to be tied to learning and development. Often it's not. It's more like just, hey, we need you to do better in your sales. Now go and do it. Instead of, well, let's help you by providing you with these simple principles for the next six months. But here's some application for that, an accountability to a cohort of people that are going through the same issues as you are because you learn from wins, you learn from fails, and you learn from talking about it with other people. So, a couple things. And and tell me, in in that respect, right, so you want to make a difference in organizations' life. How do you measure the impact that you are having on businesses? Well, that's very simple. Because I'm connecting uh, what, I'm, what I'm helping organizations do, which is connect their learning experiences to metrics. We hit their metrics, uh, then I'm successful. It's that simple. So it's actually not as hard as it sounds if people just do the work. Yep. Okay. And, and I mean, sorry, Satish, I don't know if you've got any more questions. I would like to just dive into the closing segments of this now. So, Trion, I mean, we, we end, we've got three questions that we ask and we, we're playing around with the questions. I'm being very honest with you. These are a new set of questions and we've got a, we've got an audience out there of early stage founders. So some of the things that we're going to ask now is hopefully going to add value to their own situation and, and their organization. So the first one is what tools or software are you using as part of your early stage business that you find indispensable? Yes. Stripe, Canva. Um, you know, I have a whole bunch of tools. I have a, I have a folder that talks about my life management folder. Obviously, Google Drive is how I share stuff with people. I use Speechify. If you don't know what that is, check it out, guys. Speechify takes copy and puts it into an audible format for you. Kind of like audible, but it takes any copy. Like if you want to read a newspaper, you just take a picture of it or you know, put a digital copy into Speechify. I love that sales navigator on LinkedIn is another one. Yeah. It's good targeted around the audiences I'm interested in. I mentioned Canva because of design. Yeah. Um, it's simple, very intuitive. I have a team that I have that has access, outsourced team that has access to it. So I love that. Slack, I, have, I, I use Slack with some of the clients I work with. Very easy to get a hold of them, them to get a hold of me. Boy, those are the top of mind. Like Brilliant. Oh, Evernote. I, I can't live without Evernote. I use Evernote for all my my notes, even my writing. I organize my life through folders. If that was ever to crash, I will be in big trouble. As I see on the on the cloud, we think it's safe on the cloud. Yeah. One day these, we're going to find out differently. I hope not. And the next question that I have for you is: So, as a fledgling business, if you could employ the next role that would either give you the space that you need to develop 
or propel your business into the next level? What is that higher and why? I want a social media expert. Because of my stuff's pretty cool and fun and I have lots of graphics and images and you know frameworks and models in my in my book and in my lexicon that I would love to get it out to the world. Like I said, I'm, a, I'm abundant, but in a way that's beneficial to people, but also I can get the information. I would love to get a build up my mailing list so that I can get people that have showed interest. I can keep them updated on stuff that I'm doing. Like for example, I'm coming out with a, a course on, on how to build effective learning and development experiences. Brilliant. And then the last question is, What's the one lesson that entrepreneurship has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? No man or woman is an island. You cannot be successful as an entrepreneur by yourself. And there are a lot of idiots out there that claim they, that they are successful. And they, you know, sometimes millionaires, even billionaires, that think that it was them. And, and those are the folks you never want to work for. Um, it takes a lot of people, whether it's full-time workers, part-time contractors, it takes contacts, the networks in your organization, the people that you've known over years to sometimes just be the right person to introduce you to another person. And um, so I'm a huge believer in the connectedness of, of humanity and, and how much we can learn from each other and we can grow from each other and help each other succeed. We live in an abundant world. There's more than enough for everyone. There really is. We just need to change our paradigms into thinking, if you're getting it, I'm not getting it. That's bullcrap. That's not true. That's not how it works. That's why when I think of competitors, I don't think of them as competitors. Because I, I wish them well. I want them to be successful. I want them to have a Lamborghini. I want their kids to be happy. So no, I definitely don't think of it that way. Just realize you are not doing this by yourself. You won't be successful if you do. And even if you involve other people, it's going to take time. Most that is a powerful message to end on. So all I'm going to do now Brilliant. is thank you very much for your time, Trion. It's just lovely chatting to you. It's been a laugh. If people wanted to follow you, if people wanted to find out more about you, what's the best place for them to actually get that information? Just LinkedIn. My name is a strange spelling, but T-R-E-I-O-N and then Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R. Because on there, there's links to my website, um, my book's available on Amazon, for example. It's in Kindle. It'll be available as a paperback and Audible. I'm actually recording my Audible after this meeting with you guys. So I'm going to drink lots of water. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. It was one of our, what a, what a great show. We appreciate you being so candid and transparent. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Safish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BlueMex.io to join us on Discord.